Wherever you are in the world, thank you for tuning in to this episode of The Badminton Podcast, a community for badminton players by badminton players proudly brought to you by Valan. We talk all things badminton and aim to inspire you to be better in your game and in life by celebrating the people and stories of our global badminton community, whether they be past or present professional players, social players, officials or fans. We're your hosts, Jeff and Henry, and we love badminton. From the bottom of our hearts, we'd just like to say thank you to everyone who has listened to, shared and been part of the podcast. It wouldn't be possible without you all. If you do enjoy our episodes and can spare just a couple of dollars each month, you can really help keep the podcast going by supporting us on Patreon. Just visit www.patreon.com slash Podcast. We'll leave the link in the description. As people who love badminton, we all know that it's not just about the sport itself. It's about the connections you make and the things that it teaches you as a person that you're able to bring to all of the other parts of your life. That's why we want to introduce you to the book Mirror of Magico, written by Al Liao, a former Taiwanese national badminton player who is as passionate about badminton as us. For those who love Harry Potter, you want to give this one a read because Al has authored a fantasy story where three different characters with varying personalities go on a journey of adventure and learning. And they realize that things don't just happen to you, they happen because of you. And by being yourself and spending time in your dreams, you can conquer the evils and be the best version of yourself. So make sure you check it out. Mirror of Magico, written by Ao Liao. You can find it in all leading bookstores and we'll leave the link in the podcast description. Our podcast guest on this episode is 25-year-old Adi Sela Dure, an Australian badminton player who was born and raised in Melbourne. He is a national level badminton player and also a full-time electrical engineer in the railway industry. He has a double degree in engineering and finance and is also a badminton coach to younger kids and adults. Outside of badminton, he loves soccer where he's a mad Liverpool fan and is often interrupting training sessions apparently because he's checking the Liverpool scores. Good on you, Adi. He also enjoys eating Nutella. Not sure why that's so specific. And he also enjoys researching random topics that momentarily catch his attention. Whatever you want to do, whether it's if you want to become fitter, I would really recommend getting a personal trainer just to get that initial push to learn things correctly. If you want to learn badminton, get a coach. We can't do everything ourselves. We don't know everything. You can learn something off someone else and who better than someone who's done it successfully. So if you want to start a business, talk to someone who's successfully started a business. So definitely find a mentor in things that you're passionate about, in the areas you want to delve into. Surround yourself with people aligned with your values, find some mentors. And I guess with my main topic, this is my advice. Focus on a couple of things. Pick a few things in your life you really want to focus on and spend your time and energy into that. 
I would say don't divide yourself or spread yourself too thin. Obviously, most of my life I, I kind of did that a bit, but um, I guess now I've nailed down onto a few things to focus on. Welcome on to the show, Adi. Thank you, Henry. Thank you, Jeffrey. Thanks for inviting me on. No worries. It's a pleasure to have you on the show and I think it's going to be a good one. But first of all, how often is this Nutella eating habit happening that you've had to mention it as one of your hobbies? Definitely a defining characteristic, which is why I had to put it down in the bio. This year, I haven't, I don't think I've actually had any Nutella. Pretty impressive. But usually like my mum, so I've just moved out of home, so I don't buy it anymore. But like when I used to live at home, my mum buys so much junk food. Like she stocks up on chips, Nutella, Tim Tams. Like the ward, the cupboard is just filled with junk food. And so like when it's there, I just eat it. And I've got a really bad sweet tooth. So yeah, I, I can probably eat like half a jar in like one night when I'm really bad. But yeah, lately I haven't been doing it. So just because I don't buy it because it's too expensive now that I've moved out of home. Uh, it's too expensive to buy junk food. Just buy the necessities. Chicken breast and broccoli. That's it. Yo pro. Chobani. <laughs> All right. So you're talking half a jar of Nutella. So as a personal record for you, what's the most you've eaten in one sitting? Oh, so you, you get to half the jar and you think you should might as well just finish it, right? Like, <laughs> uh, I like to, I don't want to leave it half empty. So, but it genuinely makes you feel sick after. I reckon that the optimal amount is like three or four large spoons. That'll hit the spot. Yeah, I don't think I would have gone more than half a jar. But if you really challenge me, I think I could finish a whole jar. So are we are we talking just hardcore Nutella, just pure Nutella? There's no not, no other sort of substances involved or, or texture involved. Just just hardcore Nutella just eating. Nutella. I think if you mix it with like bread or anything else, it takes away from the beauty of it. So just pure Nutella, straight out of the spoon from the jar. Okay, just just out of interest. I mean, obviously you do like your your spreads. So in terms of other spreads, do you have other spreads that you're interested in? So, you know, being an Australian, are you really into Vegemite as well? Would you do that, you know, half a jar of Vegemite? Actually, I only tried Vegemite for the first time about a month ago in my life. I had never had it before. Not a fan. It's disgusting. If there's anyone, like obviously all Australians will know what Vegemite is, but anyone else listening, it's not something you want to try, in my opinion. Yeah, we had so me and my housemates, we had like a food challenge a month ago where we just went through eating random foods. So one of the challenges was just to eat a spoonful of Vegemite. And that was that was horrendous. It wasn't tasty. <laughs> you can't eat Vegemite like that. Vegemite's pretty good just with a like a white piece of bread, lots of butter and just lightly spread. It, it's it's pretty good. You can keep enjoying it, Jeff, but I don't think I ever want to have it again, to be honest. Not when you eat it by the spoonful, but yeah. Okay. All right. Well, let's move on from the Nutella because it is obviously something that you could talk all podcasts about. So let's move on to the badminton aspect of your life. So let's just get started with your story. So how did you start playing badminton and when was it that you started? So I started badminton, it was around 10 years old. So before that, I played a lot of other sports mainly soccer. Soccer was my main sport, which I still very much enjoy playing and watching, of course. So my dad and my grandfather come from quite a sporty family. Everyone's very interested in sports. So my grandfather played a lot of golf, soccer, 
badminton and my dad was really into cricket. So I think my dad wanted me to be a cricket player. So I played a lot of cricket growing up and soccer was my main sport. I was playing for a club at the time and playing indoor soccer as well. But my dad and my grandfather used to go and play social badminton at Monash. I think like a lot of Asian parents, like they play social badminton. I used to play at Monash University actually every Sunday. And me, my sister and some of our cousins and family friends, we all used to tag along. We wouldn't go to play badminton. We just used to go around, run around, cause a bit of havoc. But at the end of the session, we would always get on court and have a hit. And my grandfather was very big on like teaching sports. He was quite a good athlete back in the day. Obviously, he came from Sri Lanka, so they didn't have as much opportunity there to pursue it as a career. But um, I think in different situation, he could have been like a professional athlete himself. So he spent a lot of time, especially in me and my sister, training us in sports and teaching us technique. So yeah, we used to just play casually. And then one day, one of our family friends, I think you know Abarami, I think they entered one of those club tournaments where... Victorian club tournaments. She was representing Seba. And I think they asked my sister to come along and represent Seba as well for their under 13 age group. So I just went along playing on my Game Boy to watch. And I think their under 11 team, so they were short of numbers. So they asked me to fill in for the under 11, the Seba team. And I played for them and I ended up winning all my games, just obviously learning from my grandfather and playing social badminton. Then after that, my grandfather and dad entered me into a tournament. So it was an under-11 state tournament. And I made it all the way through to the final. And I lost in the final to someone from BAV, Kulia. And the coach was Lenny. And I was I just remember bawling my eyes out because I didn't know how to handle losses. I hate losing. And I still to this day, I hate losing. bit better at handling my emotions now. But um, I was just crying, I remember. And then Lenny came in up. We spoke to Lenny because she came and approached us and said, oh, we haven't seen you around. Where do you train? And that's where my grandfather and dad were like, oh, you know, he just, we just play with him socially. And then she said, come down to BAB training next Sunday. And I rocked up and yeah, I just stuck to it from there. Yeah, awesome. And just for all those listeners who don't know what SEBA is, that is the Southeast Badminton Association that Adi had the pleasure of playing in that uh, event. So, the rival of BAV, I should mention. The, the, the rival of BAV for those out there, Badminton Victoria. Badminton, is Badminton, Badminton Academy of Victoria. Badminton Academy of Victoria for those out there. So, Adi, I want to take it back to your loss. There's obviously a lot to learn when you lose. And it was probably, I'm guessing it was your biggest loss to date at that time. In badminton. I've obviously lost in a lot of other sports, but first lost in badminton. What did you come away with after that loss? I know it was, a, I guess, very challenging for you. You said you bowled your eyes out. What, what is the key learning that you got out of it? I think after that, it just made me want to not lose again. It's very vivid in my memory, that loss and that match. And I just remember really wanting to train after that. And I really enjoyed going to training and improving yeah, and it was just an experience to see competitive badminton. Obviously, it was under 11, so it wasn't at a very high level. But the fact that I hadn't been training or competing in badminton, it was just an entry point for me to see where I could go with it. But even then, like after that loss, I don't think I thought about it much, to be honest. Like I just hated losing and probably just didn't want it to happen again. But it did happen a lot and it's still happening. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, but obviously not as vivid as as the first time you, it happened to you. So, Avi, what yeah. happens from there? So, you started training with Lenny, who is a former Olympic Australian Olympic player, originally from Indonesia, but she's a very good coach and was a very good player as well. But what happens after you decided to start training? Yeah, so I think at the start it just started off once a week with Lenny and this local club BAB because I was still playing soccer competitively at the time. I think I just improved really quick in the first six months to a year. And I think I made an under 13 Victorian state team. And then from there, I guess, because I was progressing a lot faster compared to soccer, it was just natural to pick up more training in badminton and slow down in the other sports. So I, I dropped all my other sports, basketball, tennis, swimming, cricket. And then eventually I was just left with soccer and badminton. And it was sort of probably, I was probably doing half-half. And as I was doing better in badminton training with Lenny Kobang at BAV, and I was playing more tournaments and I was as I was getting better results, I think I started increasing the training to twice a week. And I guess from there, especially at that point in time, there was a lot less participation in badminton compared to a sport like soccer. So your pathway into a Victorian team and from there is a lot clearer. So I think that made it easier to choose playing badminton rather than soccer. The funny thing is I don't think, up until a few years ago, I would still say I much more preferred playing soccer and got more enjoyment and had more passion for soccer than badminton. It's only in the last couple of years that I've really got more of an interest in badminton and really appreciated the sport a lot more, which is definitely helping with my motivation for training. But yeah, it just sort of went from there, made the state teams under 15, under 17. And then I made my first world juniors at, I think when I was 15 selected, I was 16 when we went. I definitely should not have made the team. It was like a backup of a backup team that was sent. I think a lot of this, the top players, like the 17, 18-year-olds, would have been like Ashwan, his age group, the 1993 age group, then just below him was like Matt Chow, Sawan, Olympians, of course. And there was a few other top players, Eddie Horton. So they all didn't nominate for the World Juniors because they had just gone for a youth Commonwealth Games. And yeah, I didn't think I had any chance. Like I had decent results at the Nationals, but you know, I was a bit young. So I was a bit surprised to make the World Juniors. The team was me, Seng, and Toby. So we were all the same age. We were all small guys, pretty young. But that was that was a, one of the best experiences I've had in badminton. And to this day, I'm like really proud that I was able to represent Australia at a junior level. One of my ambitions is to represent Australia at a senior level, such as the Thomas Cup, Cinnamon Cup, or Com Games. But I definitely, that was a big moment for me, making an Australian junior team. Yeah, definitely sounds like it. And I guess with the pathway that you've taken, it is something that you can be proud of, even though that you made the World Junior Team and maybe if other people nominated for it, you wouldn't have. But obviously, it's such a great achievement. And I remember my World Juniors as well. I'm a bit older than you, are, so that was 2006. And it was like the Leong Day, Kenichi Tago, Tommy Sugiato, that batch of, of players. And yeah, that was a huge mind-opening experience for me to see the world's best juniors because they are absolutely phenomenal. But I do want to bring it back to what you said before when you, you talked about soccer and you talked about how you thought maybe soccer was more of your passion than badminton. But then for the last few years, so you're 25 now, so let's just say 21, 22, you started to feel that badminton, I'm really enjoying badminton more. 
even though the achievements on paper in badminton have been better than your soccer, but what do you think the reason is that you started to enjoy it more? Um, it's really tricky, actually. I, I guess, yeah, I'd say around that 22, 23 age is when I really started to enjoy badminton more. I think when I turned around 18 years old, I stopped training for badminton seriously because I was focusing on VCE. And then once I got into university, and as a lot of the listeners would know and you guys would know, after you're a junior in badminton in Australia, there's not, there hasn't always been the clearest pathway to progressing into seniors. So I, with that uncertainty, I really struggled transitioning from juniors to seniors, focused more on my education, so my degree. And so I didn't really train seriously in badminton from the ages of 18 to 22. I was still playing the competitions, still playing nationals, but I wasn't properly training. I look back now and I can see that I wasn't regularly training, doing the strength and conditioning, rehab, all that. I had, I've had hip and shoulder injuries as well. And because of that, I think because of the injuries, I wasn't enjoying badminton as much. And soccer, I could play casually for fun with my friends or just like a local indoor soccer comp. And I really could still be competitive and I could still perform really well and stand out. And it came, I think it came a lot more natural to me. Soccer is, comes a lot more naturally to me. I understood the game better. I just knew what to do. Whereas badminton, I find even to this day, there's so much I'm still learning. And my technique, I wouldn't say is the best, but that's the great part about it. Like I can, now I see it's a great thing that I can keep improving my technique. I keep improving my footwork, my, tack, my knowledge of the game so I can improve my match play and tactics. And only since I've realized that, I think... I'm enjoying it a lot more. Especially also watching a lot more high-level badminton. When you see the top-level badminton, that also gives you a finer appreciation for the sport. Um, but yeah, I think for me, it was just personally, I found soccer more natural than badminton. And the fact that I'm so passionate about following soccer or football, I think that also lent me more in that direction. But obviously, that didn't allow me to train properly for badminton because I was getting a lot of injuries playing soccer. So I had to make a tough call, I think around 23, when I wanted to go serious in badminton, like I told myself, I'm not going to play any more soccer. And I've been pretty good with that. The last two years, I've hardly kicked a ball. Like I was part of a few group chats, like WhatsApp, Messenger and all that. You know how it is when your friends message you saying, hey, come down for a kick or do you want to fill in for this team? Like I just, I'm very easy to get my arm twisted. So I just left all the chats and uh, <laughs> just got away and able. I'd like to see the the level of abuse from your friends on that chat when you said no, or when you left the chat, the amount of abuse that would have happened behind your back. <laughs> yeah, you get a message, say, is everything okay? I think you got into a fight with someone else. No, I think they, um, after initially, they just, they just forget about you. They can replace you with someone else, right? There's <laughs> plenty of people to play. It seems like you were able to find that there is a wealth of opportunities in badminton from a self-improvement perspective. That, that sound, really does sound like that's what you kind of sort of came to a realization of during those, I guess, those fun years where you took a bit of time off, had, yeah, had a bit more enjoyment as part of the sport. Before I move on, I kind of want to ask you a bit about funny stories because you've been playing for such a long time and perhaps there's you know some, some really interesting stories during those years where you didn't actually take badminton that, that seriously when you were doing your studies. But before I go there, I want to ask me, 
if your soccer friends are listening to this podcast, the ones that you have left behind, what do you have to say to them? Um, I miss you guys a lot. I'll be back. I do miss soccer. I still stay in touch with them because I still, we have a lot of banter. Like I said, I'm a huge Liverpool fan. And so if my team beats their team, I'll send them a message. I'll make sure they know about it. But I'll be back. Once my badminton career is over, I'll be back playing soccer. Back to it. Okay. So Adi, following on what Henry said, let's go into some of these funny stories because we always like to hear stories about people's experiences in badminton. So if you're going to pinpoint one or two stories to tell, what would you tell? Um, yeah, I do got this one story. A couple of years back, probably, yeah, around that time when I was like focusing on studying and like around it, but it was when I was starting to get serious into badminton again. And like I said, I never used to follow badminton that much. Like now I'd be able to tell you who the top players are. I recognize, I followed the tournaments, I followed the rankings, but a couple of years ago I didn't. So I didn't know who all the top players were. Um, so yeah, I was at one of the local badminton stadiums here in Melbourne. I was playing with my friend Kamod. He, uh, he represented Sri Lanka at a junior level. So we used to train a lot together before I joined the setup of like the national team and the big team, I was training a lot with him. So we were playing games one day at the, one of the local stadiums and this this random Asian guy, he looked like he was playing in the social group. He walked up to us while we were playing and he asked me, hey, can I play you guys in a game, in a match? And I had, I had a look at the guy and you know how, I think Balance trying to change this, right? You know how a lot of the badminton gear and outfits, they have a lot of funky colors, a lot of bright orange, bright pink. So his gear just looked all out of whack. It was like bright yellow shoes, pink shorts. So <laughs> I think it was Apex was the brand. So I just had a look and I was like, okay, some social player. And, you know, obviously I considered me and Komodo like national level players. So I thought it's not going to be worth our time. We didn't want to waste our time training or playing to have a hit with him. So I just told him another time. So yeah, he just like walked away, went back. I think like half an hour later, he came back again and asked another time. And I was like, damn, this guy's persistent. So maybe we should just quickly beat him so that, yeah, uh, just send him off, send him off on his way. So he was like, all right, we'll play a game of seven points. And yeah, he got on court, singles game. And next thing I know, I lost seven love. And in, <laughs> I, I lost seven love. And in my head, I was, I still didn't realize he was a good player. I just thought maybe I played really, really shit. Maybe I just played terrible. But then my friend stepped on Komod, who was also represented Sri Lanka at World Juniors. I think he lost 7-1. And then I was like, okay, this guy might be pretty good. Jumped back on, I lost 7-1. And then we just kept having turns and getting flogged. Then after, <laughs> we, uh, like after we finished playing, we asked him, I was like, oh, where are you from? He's like, I'm from Malaysia. And it turns out uh, it was Tan Chun Siang. So I'm not sure if the listeners know, but yeah, former world number 30. I think at one point in time, he was second in Malaysia behind Lee Chong Wei. So world-class player. And yeah, that was a bit embarrassing for us. And it's okay, Adi. I know how it is to lose to him. I, lo- I lost to him in German Open, I think in 2007. It was like 17 and 17, but I remember losing to him as well. So we're in That would have been boat. in his prime, Jeff. I think uh, me and Kamod played him. He probably hadn't trained in three, four months, came here for a holiday. <laughs> well, they're all the funny stories of, of when you, you, you just don't know, right? Because 
Yes, yeah, some... you have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I pulled a couple of pranks like that myself, to be honest. I I did an internship in um, South Australia with BHP, and my manager at the time they said they used to play badminton once a week, and I did not tell them that I was at this point. I didn't tell them that I played badminton, so I rocked up on the first week, and there's like three senior engineers in the company. You know, like you can sort of leave a good impression or things like that. So the first week I kind of, I played left-handed and I just completely just like made it look like I didn't really know how to play. And then the next week I went and I played right-handed and I absolutely like, yeah, flogged them all. And just, and then I explained to them that I actually play like at a national level when, yeah, I was, that was pretty funny. And then I gave them a bit of coaching for the two months I was there. So that was nice. But it was nice to know like in a remote area in South Australia, for the other listeners, it's seven hours north of Adelaide. So it's a very rural part of Australia. And yeah, they were still playing badminton. So that was nice to see. It's nice. It's definitely nice to see badminton expanding out of Adelaide. Of course, I am actually from Adelaide. So it's uh, yeah, definitely good to hear that there's uh, badminton being played seven hours from where I used to play. And there was hardly any badminton players back then growing up as well. I'm a little bit older than you, Arthur. But yeah, that's a pretty funny story uh, that that you were able to troll essentially your uh, your seniors. That hopefully will keep the door open for you if you do want to go back to BHP at some point because you you clearly just trolled them and uh, and uh, their, had a bit, a bit of fun with that one. Their share price started going up when I left the company, so probably should stay away. It's a sign, isn't it, Arthur? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now. Moving along from the, the the funny stories, you know, we talked about your badminton journey, most of all from a professional sense. And, you know, starting at say 10 years old, when you sort of expose yourself to the sport more, being someone that's grown up in Australia where badminton isn't quite as popular as it is overseas, as just like where Tanchin Sen comes from, you know, the Malaysia. We'd love to hear how you felt about growing up as a badminton player in Australia. Of course, you did have that 50% passion for soccer as well, which is still a very dominant sport. But what are your thoughts on how people saw badminton as you grew up? That has definitely been a bit frustrating. As you guys would know, that badminton doesn't have the respect that I believe it uh, deserves. It's a sport that requires just everything. I, I can't think of any part of your body that you don't use. It requires endurance, fitness, agility, speed, strength, upper body, lower body, mental capacity, then tactics. And so there's so much that goes on in badminton. And obviously other sports have a lot of these as well, but that's recognized amongst people. And obviously badminton is sometimes seen as a backyard sport. So yeah, growing up, as a badminton player, as a state level badminton player in the school, it didn't, a lot of people didn't realize the amount of training that went into it and the fitness that was required for it. And yeah, I guess only recently I'm more proud that I'm playing badminton at a higher level. Back then, I wouldn't say it was embarrassing, but it wasn't as impressive, right, as saying you were a, a state level or national level soccer player, a cricket player, but it should be. We put in just as much work, we put in just as much effort and we face all the same obstacles and if not harder because we don't have the funding, we don't have the support and we don't have the environment, the elite training environment. 
Whereas um, Australia is like very competitive in sports like cricket, footy and swimming. So all these other athletes, they're in that environment that's at the peak. So for us, it actually, I guess it's harder to, to reach that absolute pinnacle of the sport. But yeah, going back onto that, I find personally for me, I think my close friends and people that do know me that aren't from a badminton background, I think they are able to appreciate the training and the athletic the athleticness needed to play badminton just by knowing me. And um, I guess it helps that generally I'm, I'm quite athletic with other sports as well. So throughout high school as well, I was doing quite well in the beep test. I was beating like, you know, or at least matching the state level hockey players, the state level footy players in the beep test. So I guess that maybe got them thinking that, oh, okay, badminton also requires this sort of fitness um, to be at the top level. And yeah, that's something I do want to continue doing whilst I'm playing. It's a big reason I actually created a social media page and Instagram page to share my training and some of the things I do. Just um, hoping that like my non-Bamton friends would follow so they can see what sort of things we do at training, fitness required, and yeah, the commitment required to be a top-level Bamton player. Now, just a quick word from our sponsors. The Bamton Podcast is brought to you by Volant. Volant was first born out of our frustration with the confusing, bright, and unsightly clothes and equipment that we saw in the badminton world. But now, it's so much more than that. Our mission is to accelerate the growth of badminton by providing players with products that enhance their love for the sport. All in all, it's high-quality gear that makes you look and feel great on and off the court. So make sure you check us out at volantbadminton.com and follow us on our socials at volantbadminton. Yeah, I think, Avi, for Henry and I, when we, we're talking from, say, Volant's perspective or the Badminton podcast perspective, it is really about these things. It's really about showing people outside of Badminton how hard or how, how much work needs to be required to be a, a top-level Badminton player. And yeah, we'll grab that social media handle off you towards the end of the podcast so that the listeners can check you out and give you a follow and see the training that you're doing. So moving on from that particular topic of, of badminton being, say, a sport that has so many attributes to it that you can improve in and, and you've really found that your friends and family or the people closest to you do appreciate it more. Is there a particular reason why you feel that you are more proud to say you're a badminton player now than, than previously. You said you weren't embarrassed, but you weren't really that proud. But then nowadays, do you feel more of a sense of confidence and pride about being a badminton player? Definitely. Yeah, 100%. And I think that's more on me having more of an interest and passion for the sport that's changed and developed over time. Yeah, I used to say things like back in the day, like, I used to look at people who used to watch badminton videos outside of badminton or watch badminton, follow badminton. I was like, I didn't understand them or they were crazy about like all the latest badminton gear or the, the top players and who won this tournament. I, I just never used to understand that. But it's sort of a passion and interest that I've developed over time. So definitely, yeah, I would never say I was embarrassed to say it, but looking back, I wish I was more confident in um, expressing that I was a badminton player and that it should be held just in high regards as any other sport. And now I can confidently say that. I do think that, yeah, badminton is up there with every other sport and it should be. 
I definitely shared a similar sort of feeling as I grew up at the end. And yeah, it's hard to put a, put a word to what that feeling is. Is it embarrassment? Is it shame? It's not quite that. It's kind of just perhaps it's sort of as an individual, we're not quite so sure about our own passions. And when we have finally developed a strong sense of ourselves and what what we really enjoy and are passionate about in life, that then we're sort of more open to expressing those feelings. And I think, you know, as with Volant and the podcast, I've been able to express that a lot more than I have previously growing up, sort of feeling, I guess, a bit restricted by the environment that I that I was in at the time. So it's certainly a similar feeling to Arthip. But in terms of focusing now on your non-badminton side, we'll tie it back in as well. I mean, you have a degree in engineering and finance. You're a pretty smart guy. We're all so lucky to have so many different opportunities in front of us, just like you did with soccer and badminton and all the other sports that you played because you're such an athletic person. But how do you choose what you want to do? Because there are so many things that you're bombarded with so many opportunities. There's so much things trying, so many things trying to get your attention. How do you how do you choose what you want to be good at? That's a really great question. Still figuring it out for sure. Something uh, about a month ago, I'd say I'd probably had a quarter life crisis trying to figure things out. I feel like our generation, particularly, we have so many options. We have so many opportunities with social media as well, like the grass could always be greener on the other side. Yeah, and growing up in a country like Australia, we have so many opportunities to do so many different things. So we could follow an educational path, we could play sports, you could be into arts and culture, music. Um, So for me, I guess, knowing that I had the pathway to pursue an engineering and finance degree, follow that career. But I think part of me has always wanted to be an athlete. I've always wanted to be an athlete, but growing up with the Asian parenting, I guess it's drilled into you. It's you go to school, you get good marks, you go to uni, you get a degree, then you get a good paying job and all that sort of stuff. You buy a house, get a family. So I guess that has sort of been ingrained into me, which I am grateful for. It's uh, And I can understand from my parents' point of view, you know, coming from different countries and migrating to Australia, it's the lifestyle they would have wanted for us. And I still am obviously following that lifestyle. But a part of me has always wanted to be an athlete. And I've always sort of been in a constant battle of what do I prioritize, like pushing to become a better athlete, whether it was soccer or badminton or pursuing my uni degree. And obviously uni is not easy. So uni, I prioritized definitely from the ages of around 2018 to 23, definitely prioritized uni. And so that's why my results in badminton were were not at the levels that I, looking back, wish they could have been at. I struggled transitioning from juniors to seniors just because badminton wasn't my number one priority. But looking back, I wouldn't change that because I've come out of it with a uni degree and I've set myself up for the future. But that's why I really sat down about a month ago and worked out I want to like prioritize badminton right now. And I'm young still in my opinion. Some people might think I'm old, but I I feel young. I feel as young as ever, just because I'm as fit as I've ever been, uh, looking after my diet, my sleep a bit better, and I'm just making better choices compared to when I was a bit younger. So I feel really young and I feel ready to compete and to keep improving and learning. So I figured like I'm not, my body 
I'm never going to be in this condition always. So I thought I can work professionally for the rest of my life. So I've decided like for the next couple of years, I really want to play badminton and just see how far I can go. Keep improving every day and then try and knock off some of my goals, which about a month ago, I sat down and wrote down what do I actually want to achieve and like, how am I going to get there? But at the same time, I would never quit my professional job just because I am quite risk averse. Is that correct? Risk averse is when you don't take too much risk, right? So I, I'm still working full time, but I'm really lucky in that I've built a good relationship with my company and the working hours are quite flexible. So I train in the mornings and then I start work around 9.30, 9.45. And obviously you just got to, you got if you, if you take a bit, you got to give a bit, you stay back a bit later and work a little bit. But I do think it is possible to do both. But what I did realize is it's very hard to focus and give 100% in both. You can do both, but you're never going to be able to give 100% in both. Yeah. So Avi, if I'm the devil's advocate and I flip it the other way, then what do you think the implications for your badminton progression will be with the fact that you, because you said you can't be 100% in, in two things that are, that are huge, right? Your career is huge and it, it is a 100% game where if you, if you want to be the best that you can be in your career, then you need 100% there. And of course, there are other aspects of life that aren't just work and badminton, right? You need to take care of yourself. You need to make sure you've got time for yourself. You've got to make time for your family. You've got to make time for your friends. You've got, yes, you've got more of a, a balance in your life in terms of the different aspects of it. But you choosing to stay with the full-time job and, and even though you are, say, giving 70, 80% there, how do you think that will affect your badminton um, progression because you've decided to stay working? I'm not saying that you should go and quit your job. I'm just saying, what about the other way? Because you, you explained it one way. How about the other way? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, like you said, I could quit my job and go full-time in badminton. That is, if I really wanted to be a top professional badminton player, that's probably what I would have to do, especially because I know my level right now is not good enough to compete at, let's say, an Olympics level or to tour the world and play. I'd have to really, really improve before I get to that level. But based on my situation and the goals I've set for myself, I believe I can achieve them with the current routine I have. I can see the, the goals, which, I, which I'm more than happy to say, I, I really want to represent Australia at a Sudamon Cup, Thomas Cup, and poten- potentially give the Com Games a crack. And I personally believe I can achieve these with the current training schedule I have if I just stay disciplined and committed. But for example, if my goal was to be a top 100 badminton player consistently and qualify for an All England and qualify for the world champs every year, then I know to achieve that it's not realistic working a full-time job. So you got to be realistic about what you want to achieve and what your current... Is what you're doing right now practical for you to achieve what your goals are? And so I assessed that the way I'm training currently, the last year, year and a half, I can see myself achieving the goals that I've set for myself. So yes, I, I don't think I need to quit my full-time job. It would help, but also maybe not because if I quit my full-time job, maybe the pressure of having all my eggs in one basket and not having that security of career in the background, it, it may negatively affect the way I play badminton. I, I really enjoy my job and my engineering professions. So I think that also helps with my badminton, to be honest. and. It makes me a more well-rounded person and gives me 
a lot more confidence from a lot of angles. So I do enjoy having both. But yeah, to, to answer your question, for my goals, I think I can still work full-time and achieve them. It's great to see you having such a holistic approach to that, Arthi. And I think that's a really important and key point that I want to drive across to listeners as well in the community. Are these very clear and and probably it took him a quarter life crisis to get there, but he's very clear about the goals that he has set for himself. And, you know, some people's goals are to make it to the Olympics, win a gold medal or whatever it might be. But it's important that you define success into your own individual self because success to everyone is different. And for those listening, yeah, it's important to make sure that you are setting the goals that are realistic to yourself and that are aligned with the activities that you're doing or the effort that you're putting into achieve those goals as well. And that it's not necessary to compare to others whose other their goals might be to win the Suderman Cup. So not just not just be involved in the Commonwealth Games, but to to win gold at the Commonwealth Games. Not to downplay any of you know Arthi's own goals, but everyone will have their own definition of success, and it's important to get clarity on what that means to you, listeners out there. So yeah, that's really great, Arthi. In terms of, I guess, obviously you're you're athletic. You're quite good at many sports, and in the I guess in the academic world, you have achieved some great successes by doing both your engineering and and finance degree together. Now, are you content with being just good at everything? No, I'm not. And that's probably something that's spared by mini quarter life crisis. I want to be the best at everything. I'm very competitive. It's a good thing to be, but also... You never settle. You you always want more. You always want more, which I, I love because I always want to keep getting better, keep setting the bar higher. But that was a huge problem. It's like, I guess, do you want to be the jack of all trades, be good at everything, but not quite the master of one thing? All my life, I was definitely happy with being good at everything, but never quite the best. Always like top academics was good. Sports was good. But yeah, it was funny. Someone actually told me when I was younger, I think it was actually Anthony Joe's dad. So one of my the guys I play with at a junior tournament, he told me there's no point being good at every sport. I think he gave me and my dad some advice back then. Like, you know, I should just focus on badminton rather than being, keep playing soccer. And I did not understand that advice back then. It just didn't register in me. But now I look back and it, it makes so much sense. I think there are benefits of having people in the world who are pretty good at a little bit everything, like a variety of things. But then there's so much use in the people who are skilled in a certain expertise. For example, if you want to go to the doctor, you hope they are really, really good doctors, right? You don't hope that they're a little bit of a good doctor, but they're a really good soccer player. Like You want them to be a good doctor. If you go to your dentist, you want them to be a good dentist. If, and so on. Like If you want someone's building your house, you want them to be a really good builder. Just like that, I think I realized you need to figure out a couple of things that you really want to focus on and then try and nail that, become the best at that. So yeah, I think that's when about a month ago, I figured like yeah, badminton and my career, just focus on these and try and drop the other things that you're trying to be good at. Like I was, you know, if you might see your friend who might 
really get into investing or investing in cryptocurrency. You know, that's a bit of a fad at the moment. So it's like, oh shit, I want to get involved in that. I want to spend all these out. I want to make money like quick. But then you've got to remember, is that one of your targets? Is that one of your focus? Or is that going to deviate energy and attention away from what you really want to achieve deep down inside? So yeah, I think I've definitely progressed over time. And maybe my opinion will keep changing as I get older. When I was younger, definitely I thought it's better to be good at everything. But now I definitely think it's just more important to be the best at a couple of things. That's my opinion, of course. And uh, everyone else might have a different opinion. I have a different opinion, Arty. <laughs> no, I, I completely agree with what you're saying and kind of this this all-roundedness is a definitely good attribute but is it what you want in your life is something you need to ask yourself but yeah. I, I guess the opinion that I'm having is not saying that I don't agree with what you've said it's more what defines that greatness as well so if you say hey I'm really good at this or I'm really good at that or hey no I'm great at this and I'm great at that what is that good and what is that great? Is is great in badminton playing at the state level or is it playing national level or international level? But what's good in badminton then? Is that just meaning playing for club level? But someone's good might might be playing national level, but their great is to win the Olympic gold medal. So I just wanted to just say that because I, I guess when I was listening to you speak before, I was thinking, okay, what how do you define this this jack of all trades? Like how good do you need to be just to be a jack of all trades? And then how good you need to be to be a master. I define being great by being, say, the top 10 in the world, but someone else defines that in a different way. Then how do you know if you're good or you're great at something? I think you as the person yourself, it's going to be different for everyone. So you personally have to define what your greatness is, what your good is. And I think deep down, everyone knows when they can do better or when they are underperforming or they're not getting the full potential out of themselves so yeah you personally have to define what your greatness is and what your average is and it depends on your personality and your ambition and a whole different factors but ultimately it comes down to yourself yes it's you know everyone has their own blueprint of success right it's not about what Adi thinks is great it's not about what Jeff thinks it's great to what you know, I think is great for myself, what my goals are and what my definition is. So it's important listeners to do not compare yourself with those around you. Certainly you want to compete and still be you know, competitive with those, those around you because those around you are what lifts you up, who, who helps you to improve and certainly surrounding yourself with people that have similar or like, like-minded like people with similar goals uh, will help you to achieve your own as well. So it's important to take that into consideration as well. Now, Arthi, in terms of what your future plans and goals are for the future, you mentioned what your badminton goals are. What other goals do you have after setting that mid, having that mid-quarter life crisis? What goals do you have outside of badminton? Hey, wait, Arthi, before you answer that, can I ask, do you think you're good or great at eating Nutella? I'm at the pinnacle, the top 0.0001%. So great, great in everyone's definition, not just me. <laughs> Sorry, go on. Um, yeah, so some of my career, some of my goals and objectives outside of badminton 
I guess I've touched on them already a little bit. For me, I want to continually be better and improve. I want to improve my habits to try and cut out a few of the bad habits, such as sleeping in, being late everywhere. Jeff would know a lot about this. I'm notoriously known for being late everywhere and it's something I'm trying hard to change. So yeah, trying to build better habits for the long term. And that's definitely one of my goals at the moment. Career-wise as well, I'm trying to progress my career in the railway industry as an electrical engineer. But obviously, I've got a finance degree as well. And I do have an interest in the finance and consulting space. So I have some goals career-wise as well. But I have, like I mentioned, they're not at the forefront of my mind right now. So I'm sort of, I'd say, content with where my uh, professional career is heading. Personally, I uh, personal sort of goals, what do I have? Helping others out, I guess, coaching. So I, that's why I still do a lot of badminton coaching. So sharing some of the knowledge I have with kids. And I also do one-on-one coaching with some adults. So I do find enjoyment out of that, that I can um, share some of the things I've learned over my playing days. What else? Personal goals at the moment. I've recently started getting into investing. So I looking to yeah make my money work for me. So I did an investing course recently. So looking into that. Apart from that, just just enjoying life with my family, friends, making sure I'm improving every day. Yeah, I, I want to I want to visit my family soon overseas. I guess this whole COVID thing, I haven't seen got family in Sri Lanka and Singapore, UK as well. So I'd really love to see them more soon. That would be nice. I'd spend a bit more time with my younger cousins and grandparents and uncles and aunties. But yeah, in terms of goals, yeah, I guess badminton right now is my big goal. So that's why I probably just went on a tangent there and didn't really answer your question. But yeah, badminton, yeah, I'm just really motivated at the moment. So I want to try and knock off my badminton goals. Then I feel like I can move on to the next chapter of my life. Awesome. Awesome. So all the best with those goals, Arvi. And um, you know that we've got your we've got your back in getting to those. So Arvi, we've been speaking for like an hour now. I don't know if you've if it's felt like long for you or not, but I just thought we would start wrapping up here. So the first thing I want to ask you is if you've got any pieces of advice. So maybe two or three pieces of advice that you have learned on your badminton journey or in your professional journey as well as a as an engineer and with, with a degree in finance as well. So if there's a, a younger listener out there maybe who's thinking, hey, what do I do or do I choose study or badminton or someone who, yeah, a- anyone out there that you could say, okay, maybe you should consider these things because this is what has worked for me or this is what I could have done differently. Yeah. So three pieces of advice I would give. I guess one, this is a huge one. Surround yourself with people aligned with where you want to end up that have similar values, vision, goals, drive, motivation. So for example, if you want to become a badminton player, surround yourself with people who are passionate about badminton and want to train and get better. If you want to be, if you want to get pushed academically, be around people who value studying and learning and reading and teaching. So I guess you are a product of your environment. So one, definitely surround yourself with people aligned to where you want to end up and what you want to achieve. That also sort of leads on to another one piece of advice I'd give. Finding a mentor is huge, I believe. Whatever you want to do, whether it's, if you want to become fitter, I would really recommend getting a personal trainer just to get that initial push to learn things correctly. If you want to learn badminton, get a coach. We can't 
do everything ourselves. We don't know everything. You can learn something off someone else and who better than someone who's done it successfully. So if you want to start a business, talk to someone who's successfully started a business. So definitely find a mentor in things that you're passionate about in the areas you want to delve into. Yep. So surround yourself with people aligned with your values, find some mentors. And I guess with my main topic, this is my advice. Focus on a couple of things. Pick a few things in your life you really want to focus on and spend your time and energy into that. I would say don't divide yourself or spread yourself too thin. Obviously, most of my life, I, I kind of did that a bit. But um, I guess now I've nailed down onto a few things to focus on. Yeah. Oh, another one, which is huge. If you've had injuries growing up, do your rehab properly and make sure you do your rehab. Listen to the advice of the professionals and experts. And if you think you've got an injury problem, get it diagnosed as early as possible. And don't just let it sit there for a long time. I, I had a lot of hip, back, hamstring issues, which I didn't really diagnose properly for a long time. And I probably lost a good two, three years of training and playing. So if you're out there and you're feeling some kind of pains in your body uh, and you want to play sports, definitely get it checked out. It's worth the money and do your rehab properly. I'm talking to an 18-year-old me. A great selection of advice there, Arthi. And I'm sure the past Arthi would have really appreciated hearing, I guess, certainly that last piece of advice that you, that you just gave, right? So in terms of now you've you've essentially vocalized all your goals on the podcast. It's out. It's going to be out in the public, uh, so everyone can track you and see how how you're going in terms of achieving those goals. And definitely your badminton goals are on your Instagram, and hopefully you know your personal goals being able to catch up with your family very soon is something that a lot of people are probably hoping to do once you know COVID starts to ease around the world. Certainly, once we come out of lockdown here in Melbourne as well, some of the closer relatives can be visited. But yeah, in terms of following you, Arthi, in terms of the listeners wanting to track and see how you're going towards your badminton goals specifically, or just how they can get in touch with you, where is the best place for them to find you? Yep. So I've got a badminton page on Instagram. It's just my name, Arthi, A-T-H-I. Celadurai, S-E-L-L-A-D-U-R-A-I. Yeah, you can follow me on there, send me a message and I'm pretty responsive. So yeah, check that out. Awesome. So we'll pop that in the description below for all you listeners as well. Now, Arthi, before we wrap up, we do have a final question for you. It is that question that we have asked so far, 17 of our guests. And I hope that you're prepared for this one because this is your gold medal predictions for men's singles and women's singles at the 2020, now 2021 Tokyo Olympic Games. All right. I did prepare for this one. Men's singles, it's going to be uh, Samir Verma. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. I knew you were going to say that, Adi. Samir. No, just kidding. It's going to be Nibuka. Nibuka. <laughs> Is that um, why you're recording while you're saying seriously, that? <laughs> Yeah, I was recording that. But seriously, the men's singles, I think Kento. I've got to go with Kento, Momoda. Home advantage. I think he'll really want to bring it home. And I guess the last time there was an extended period of time out of badminton, you know, he had the ban. He came back and he performed really well. So I just back him on his home soil. But I wouldn't be surprised if some of the other guys 
my dark horse is Lazy Jia. I think he could go all the way and win it as well, but put my vote down for Mona. Girls, uh, women's singles makes it tricky, hey? Uh, it's pretty unfortunate the news about Carolina Marin. That was sad to see. I think she would have been my pick, but because she is out, I'm going to go with Okahara, another Japanese. So I think maybe she'll take advantage of the home court advantage. The, the women's singles is hard to pick now. I think it's open, but um, I'm going with Okahara. Interesting, interesting. So with Kento's vote, he is number one for men's singles by quite a long way in terms of our voting. So he's on 12 votes, Victor Axelson at five votes, Anders Anderson at one vote. Carolina Marion for the women's singles was at 10 votes. And like you said, it's really unfortunate. I would have really, really loved to see her play in Tokyo. But now that you've voted for, for Okuhara, she is in second place, or you can say it's first place now because Caroline is not going to play. But her and Taisi Ying are both on four votes each. So there we have it. Kento and Okuhara are these tips for the gold medal gold medals at the Tokyo Olympic Games. So Avi, that wraps up this episode of the podcast. First of all, from Henry and I, we just want to say thanks very, very much for coming on. And secondly, we really hope that you had a good time. Thank you very much for having me, Jeff and Henry. It was a good time. And um, yeah, I've really enjoyed listening to the podcast. I listen to it really frequently. So it's a pleasure to be on the show, to the show now. But I don't think I'll be able to listen to myself. It might be embarrassing. Support us on Patreon. bye so from Henry and I at the Badminton Podcast thanks for tuning in to this episode if you've enjoyed it or found it useful be sure to share it with your family friends, teammates and someone outside your badminton circle too because with your help we can show the world how incredible badminton is to keep up to date with new episodes and who we're interviewing next, make sure you connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn at The Badminton Podcast and on Twitter at The Badminton Pod. Feel free to contact us and ask any questions, give us feedback, or request topics for future episodes. We love hearing from you. And remember to check out and shop for your simple and minimalist badminton gear at volantwear.com. Catch you on the next episode. Bye. Bye.